This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Morning and welcome to the first in the series of our Fraud and Investigations podcasts, where over this and coming episodes, we're going to be looking at emerging themes and best practice in the area. Perhaps unsurprisingly, in our first episode today, we're going to focus on fraud in the time of a pandemic and considering whether this is another virus to fight. I'm Charlotte Pender, a partner and head of Commercial Dispute Resolution, and my practice is predominantly focused on civil fraud. And I'm joined today by Stuart Hay and Caroline Greenwell. Over to you guys to introduce yourselves. Hi, Stuart Hay speaking. I head up Charles Speechley's Fraud and Investigations practice. Hi there, I'm Caroline Greenwell, a senior associate in Commercial Dispute Resolution, also with a specialism in fraud and investigations. Thank you for joining me today, guys. Particularly nice to be here in the same room together to do this podcast. So as matters stand, we are emerging from lockdown and it's pretty unclear what life is going to look like in the short to medium term. I think it's sensible to expect that we'll experience a recession, potentially on a significant and perhaps unprecedented scale. And what we've all seen before, certain behavioural patterns are likely to occur or be discovered as a result of an economic downturn. Generally speaking, a period of economic distress brings together the three elements of what's sometimes referred to as the fraud triangle, and that's opportunity, motivation, and justification. So opportunity being, for example, a systemic weakness, which presents something to steal and a way to steal it. Motivation, desperation, stress, pressure, and justification, so a sense of entitlement or perhaps dissatisfaction about the way you're being treated. These create the perfect environment perpetrating fraud, but also make it far more likely that existing frauds and scams will be discovered. So Stu, obviously you've seen a few more economic downturns than me. Have you got (laughs) observations to... uh... Uh, um, Well, uh, thanks Charlotte for that that, uh, flattery. I think that what history shows is that whenever there has been an economic downturn, that it quickly becomes apparent, as is often said, and is uh, oft quoted by me, that when the tide goes out, you can tell who's been swimming naked. And the reality actually is, is that if uh, in more recent history, uh, we've witnessed the bursting of the actual dot-com bubble. We've seen the most recent financial crisis in 2007, 8 and 9 and onwards. And as The Economist have recently reported in a very interesting article, that they are of the view, as as are other commentators experienced in this field, certainly a a view that I share, that when this starts to pan out, we we may well be witnessing the actual fruits, if you can call it that, of a decade of fraud. Now, without being overly alarmist, I think, as you quite rightly said, Charlotte, there is various frauds perpetrated. Um, There are those that are um, opportunistic in nature, and where I think that this pandemic has been unique in the sense that it has created an environment within business and rule and regulation alike where there's been so much remote working and so much remote practices that there has potentially been strain upon proper compliance measures. And Caroline and you, I know that you'll speak to this momentarily, so I won't stray into that field rather than just touch upon it now. But I think that what also has, has been manifest in previous experience from arising from financial crisis is that a lot of businesses enter a financial crisis already in the actual grip of a fraud. 
it's very interesting that when you have a bullish market that was prevailing before the pandemic hit, you will see many businesses that are engaging in practices whereby they're reporting profits, they are borrowing. Sometimes they've actually experienced exponential growth in profit margin and stated profits, and they are looking to gear for future growth. I mean, all businesses, generally speaking, like to think that they're going to grow, and in entering into that period of growth, they have borrowed. And what has been manifest, as I say, in previous frauds has been the revelation that when the actual books are looked at and those companies come into trouble, that they have actually been, for what's a better expression, cooking the books. And I would recommend anybody to actually read The Economist article. It's got a very good analysis about non-traditional gap practices where people are overstating profits, not reporting their losses correctly, using imaginative ways to utilise, not always overtly from unlawful accountancy practices, to misbetray to the markets their true financial worth. And it takes something like covid and the experience that we're going through and what will likely happen in the financial community thereafter to actually expose those practices and, and open them up to rigour. So what I wanted to do now would be to pass over to Caroline to actually highlight those risks. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Stu. That was really helpful context because, as Stu said, in addition to the more typical frauds that we've seen arise following previous financial crises, and have extensive experience of investigating and litigating. The crisis caused by COVID-19 brings very particular challenges in our view. So as you touched on, to the extent that businesses can continue to operate with their workforces working remotely, they are absolutely doing so, as we all know, which means huge swathes of the population working in a decentralised fashion from their laptops in their homes. So that widespread phenomenon of remote working is, in our view, allowing two categories of emerging fraud to develop. These are internal fraud, so as Stu and Charlotte have touched upon, disgruntled or under pressure employees, feeling that pressure, seeing an opportunity and committing a fraud against their employer. Similarly, on an internal level, fabricating performance and financial metrics to give a better impression to the business, its investors and the outside world. But we're also seeing external attacks, so in particular we're talking of cyber criminals basically taking advantage of a unique set of circumstances, vulnerabilities and anxieties in order to commit fraud upon organisations. So taking those in turn, internal fraud, this type of fraud isn't necessarily new, as Stu's mentioned, but the circumstances and causes perhaps are. So we've often seen cases of disgruntled or perhaps just greedy employees deciding that they would like to get their hands on on funds that are or should be out of bounds to them. We've seen individuals siphoning company funds out of the business in, in a variety of creative ways, but with the aim of those funds arriving in, in let's say, an account that belongs to them. We've also seen stock being misappropriated and records tampered with to cover tracks. But the pandemic becomes relevant to this category because of the increased financial pressure that people are being placed under, perhaps. They may have taken pay cuts, been placed on the furlough scheme, yet retaining access to company systems, be it threat of redundancy or or other means of income being restricted. So touching on the fraud triangle, that's very much one of the corners of that. Sadly, history shows that humans are not immune to the lure of illegal means to generate income and our view is that history is is likely to repeat itself in what is now becoming a financial crisis. Similarly, on the internal level, 
as Stu touched on, it's this angle of another form of pressure really is to report as positive financial metrics as possible to your board, to shareholders and beyond to, to banks and investors. There is obviously intense and regular scrutiny at the moment and the, the suggestion is that some may falter under that pressure and become minded to misreport or massage financial performance as, as Stu mentioned. They feel the lure to do that as opposed to reporting a much more pessimistic reality and the rest is really history on that front. Just touching on the external attacks that we're predicting may be on the increase. This is really where criminals are taking advantage of that remote working setup. As I said, people are not in a centralised and more formalised environment and this creates a number of vulnerabilities, some of which are more technical, others are kind of more on a human level. So without going into too much detail, we're all likely to be logging in to our systems through VPNs as opposed to being hardwired in the office and this creates an additional level of exposure and opportunity for cyber criminals to infiltrate. There are myriad new communication tools that we've all got to grips with over the last few months and potentially we'd kind of you know download those to our systems prior to the risks having been fully appreciated by our organisations. We're now of course aware of the tools that have greater and lesser security and greater and lesser resilience to external attack. But the use of less secure means does continue, as obviously do the associated risks. Other more basic issues such as reducing the regularity of password changes, which are often restricted when working remotely, again that creates a vulnerability which opens up a, a channel for cyber criminals to exploit. And as I mentioned on a kind of more human level, there is a bit of a psychological difference in the feeling of being at work at home versus being in the office. There's a sense of you know, more remoteness, you haven't got people next to you or an IT department on hand. So I think it is possible that there, are the, there is greater potential to be caught out more readily by phishing emails and those kind of attacks, particularly if the email taps into the recipient's particular COVID-19 related anxiety. And there are lots of you know, false COVID-19 emails flying around, which potentially people are more vulnerable to at home. Just finally, a word on those phishing emails. It's commonly a route for fraudsters into an organisation. You know, by clicking on a link, you've immediately given somebody access, the gateway to a vast amount of data, which the fraudster can then use to commit its crime, whether through data theft or impersonation attempts. So we're kind of at the mercy of, of lots of risks at the moment. As Charlotte and Stu have said, it's a classic time for that fraud triangle to, to really be at its worst. Um, so I realise that possibly sounds a little bit negative, which is definitely not the intention. Um, so Charlotte's going to share her thoughts on the resources available and managing the risks as best we possibly can. Thanks, Caroline. There seems to be no shortage of advice and guidance from both enforcement agencies and regulators focusing on COVID-specific frauds at the moment. In particular, the Fraud Advisory Panel has established a COVID watch group and they've published some helpful and detailed guidance which is worthy of a read. Similarly, the National Cyber Security Centre, which is part of GCHQ, have published information on the risks inherent in home working and the sorts of issues that businesses need to be alert to there. There are also details of a number of specific COVID scams doing the rounds on both the NCA, that's the National Crime Agency, and the Financial Conduct Authority's websites. I guess my sense is that where lockdown happened fairly quickly in the end, businesses were rightly focused on adapting quickly to remote working practices, you know, projecting to their employees and the outside world 
that they were coping and things were you know ticking along nicely and generally speaking quite rosy in the face of diversity and so the approach was very much to take decisions quickly and to perhaps leave the questions for later I think we may now have reached that point as we're emerging from lockdown and transitioning to you know what we repeatedly are referring to in life as the new normal that's going to involve significant amount of home working and I think it's important for businesses to take a step back and take stock in particular they need to reassess corporate governance and internal policies and ensure that these remain fit for purpose or whether they need to be you know adapted or tested and look at the structures they've got in place see whether they still work in the way in which the business operates post-COVID. Similar approach needs to be taken with risk and monitoring, with a good look at the policies in place and kicking the tyres on those. And ultimately, for any business or businesses who do identify or suspect that there are issues or that they may have fallen victim to a fraud, whether that's an internal fraud or an external fraud, as Caroline has outlined, the message really has to be to investigate that thoroughly and respond before things are allowed to snowball. Thanks, Charlotte. I think it would be useful before we pass the map back to you, Charlotte, for Cass and I, just to, in a sense, wrap up with a few recommendations and advice for people who are, who are listening to this. As we've touched upon, the economic situation that prevails at the moment and is likely to prevail for the foreseeable future, drawing an analogy from COVID itself, creates a, a fertile environment for fraud to grow and to actually develop. Like trying to control the actual virus itself, the processes that everybody should have in mind should be aimed at stopping, challenging and protecting themselves from and the businesses from fraud and, and that is at all, all manners and, and, and all types of fraud that present themselves in this situation. So what I would certainly commend to everybody is a simple message that they should ensure that their processes are rigorous and are maintained. As has um, been said in this in this podcast, I touched upon by both Charlotte and Caroline, the fact that people are working remotely doesn't mean that they should not be actually properly trained, have the proper resources, um, and take reasonable steps to protect from fraud effectively having the correct measures in place and testing those measures on a fairly frequent basis to, to ensure resilience. I think that one of the things that we're finding is that because people are not in the office to each other, there is almost the abandonment of human interaction at a level. And whereas previously somebody would sense check against a peer who was sat next to them or a couple of seats away from them, it's a little bit more complicated and convoluted when they have to perhaps Zoom, WebEx, telephone, email, and there may be a delay. So those points need to be addressed and had firmly in mind. The culture of um, remote working itself <coughs> has become slightly more casual than what would normally be in the office, and that can create a, um, a, mistake, um, a relaxed attitude towards business practices. That needs to be addressed. I think more importantly, it's interesting that, certainly in my experience, that when I've been asked to advise businesses and indeed individuals who've encountered fraud, it's amazing how many red flags those businesses have just simply just walked past that otherwise in a sensible uh, environment that they would have actually thought, oh, crikey, 
that's wrong. Um, and sometimes people pass more red flags than a downhill slalom course. So one needs to be mindful, look out for the red flags. There are people out there and within businesses who are ready to exploit sloppy process. Uh, Caroline, have you got anything that you want to add to this? Um, I'd really just echo what you were saying. I think there is an opportunity, a greater opportunity for external and internal attacks, but you have to sort of create the environment as if you were in the office to, to prevent vulnerability to those, whether that be increased training, increased communication, making sure that there's just greater awareness of an external attack and also trying to sort of nullify the circumstances that might lead somebody on an internal basis to decide to defraud their employer or their organisation. So I think it really is just trying to keep communication really alive and, as Stu said, just increased awareness and and scrutiny of potential red flags that might be facing an organisation externally and internally. Thanks, guys. I think the kind of overwhelming messages for business to take away is really what might be said in some quarters is stay alert <laughs> and thank you very much to everybody for listening to our thoughts and musings today please listen out for our future podcasts where as i said we'll be exploring best practice and other issues in the area of fraud and investigations if you do have any queries about anything you've heard today or any points that you'd like to discuss further then please do contact any of us or have a look at our Fraud and Investigations page on the Charles Russell Speechley's website where you can find much more information. Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.